let's get right into it and talk about Deno because fresh is fresh. We're going to get to fresh and we're going to talk about how we can create websites and why it's so special. But at a core, it's running on something different, which is Deno. So could you talk to us a little bit about what Deno is and why it's special? Yeah, so Deno's uh, or Dino, I actually how how we Dino, okay. It. Yeah, it's a long argument on if it's Dino or Deno, but I think we've settled on Dino now. <laughs> Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Paul. I'm your host today, and today we have Luca Casanato joining us. Welcome to the podcast, Luca. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Luca, you're a software engineer and contributor, creator of the Fresh framework, which we're going to be talking about today. It's a new way to kind of like get your feet into web development. Um, new way to make really fast modern websites and it runs on a really cool runtime which is like this deno project which i myself haven't really looked into much i'm really excited to pick your brain and, and learn about it yeah uh so yeah let's get right into it and talk about deno because fresh is fresh we're going to get to fresh and we're going to talk about how we can create websites and why it's so special but at a core it's running on something different which is deno so could you talk to us a little bit about what deno is and why it's special yeah, so Deno's uh, or Dino, I actually how, how we like Dino, it. okay. Yeah, it's a long argument on if it's Dino or Deno, but I think we've settled on Dino now. <laughs> um, yeah, so so Dino is a, a runtime which is meant as a replacement for other server-side JavaScript runtimes like Node.js. Um, that is has it's built by the same people that originally built Node. So. Um, uh, Ryan Dahl, who who originally wrote Node together with Bert Belder and um, ben Nordhaus and, and some other folks um, went uh, like eight years after build after having built Node, um, reflected on uh, everything that went wrong with Node and everything that could be improved with Node. And um, out of that, they envisioned a new runtime um, with a bunch of different semantics um, that are different from Node um, that would provide a, a better user experience. Um, and that is Dino. Um, and the like core selling points of Dino are. Um, that it's it feels much more modern to use, and that's very like wishy washy thing to say, right? Like I can say this feels more modern to use, but if you've used Dino, you'll realize pretty quickly that um, it feels a lot like you're writing for like you're writing a modern website um, because it is very heavily based on web standards. Um, like it doesn't have proprietary like a proprietary HTTP module, um, but it uses fetch to do HTTP fetching. It uses um, ECMAScript modules to do um, like module things um, that you would use require for node, um, and it imports stuff from URLs like you do in, in the browser. It's it feels very webby, um, and in addition to that, it also includes a bunch of tooling which um, you don't have necessarily have in Node out of the box. Things like a test framework, a linter, a formatter, um, editor integrations, um, documentation generation. I'm probably missing like half of the things. A bundler. There's there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. Um, you can run Dino dash dash help to to see it all. Um, but essentially, it's meant to be like a fully integrated runtime, which allows you to do uh, your entire um, like web um, like flow uh, of building a website um, entirely with it with a single tool. If I was writing a script to do something, let's say I wanted to like sort out a file, like this is something I'd usually call upon Python to do, like because it's really good at that I/O stuff. Uh, what would it be appropriate for me to just reach for Dino right away? 
Yeah, I think so. Because like one of the selling points of Dido is that it's it's very simple to use. Um, in Node, for example, if you want to have a project, you would import some dependency, you have to create like a JavaScript file, you have to create a package JSON. If you want to write in TypeScript, you have to like set up TSC and do all this crazy stuff. With Dino, you just create a .ts file and then Dino run that .ts file. And if you want to import some dependencies, you just import them via URL. Um, in in the file, so it's like all very self-contained. It's it's really easy to get started with. Are there any like things I should watch out for in terms of pluggability or just, like sustainability on other cloud platforms? If I want to roll with Dino today, yeah. So uh, like Dino has it's it ships as a single binary, um, which you can run on any Linux machine, um, which is like relatively recent from the like last eight years or so. Um, so you can like Dockerize Dino and run it on any cloud provider that supports running Docker containers. Um, you can run it on Fly.io, um, but you can also run Dino on our cloud hosting service, Dino Deploy, which is like an edge runtime, which is pretty similar to Cloudflow Workers, which allows you to uh, run code anywhere across the world, um, really close to users. Dino Deploy, I haven't heard of uh, haven't heard of that one. Uh, it, it's fun to shop around for serverless offerings because they all have like different basket of eggs of what they're going to offer you. Um, like my experience of Cloudflare workers, the one, the thing, the thing that really makes me feel constricted is the one megabyte package limit. But more importantly, it's a 30 second auto timeout and any sub requests that I had in my worker. D- does Dino have deploy of something different or is it the same? So, so Dino Deploy has a also has a limit on the file size or on the bundle size, but it's twenty megs. Um, so, like, very unlikely you're going to run into yeah. that, <laughs> especially because um, the the way that the file size is calculated is it it only takes into account the whatever. I can get into exact details, but like, essentially, it like you don't have to ship your entire Node modules folder. Um, like you would with like AWS Lambda, for example, because you know it doesn't have a node modules folder. Um, like you import the specific files that you need, um, and like only those count towards the the, the file size limit. Um, and on the sub requests, we actually don't have a hard limit on um, sub requests, um, and we don't have a hard limit on timeout either. There's a CPU time limit, um, which you can increase by upgrading to pro, pro account. Um, but yeah, there, there's no like hard limit on you have to be done after 30 seconds. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. That's music to my ears. What a, what a thing to have to engineer around. It's a great, it's a great runtime environment. Man, it's so fast. But uh, that 30-second timeout, <laughs> it's good to hear there's other options to look for. Because it's, it's really nice to have a serverless environment where you don't even have to worry about the node modules folder. Like, yeah, you just push it on up. It's- and actually, part of, part, of, part of that, that we don't have the node modules folder, it allows our deployments to also be like insanely fast um, because we don't have to pull down like a bunch of packages from NPM during a CI step or anything like that. And we don't have to like do a TSC build because Dino is just able to run TypeScript natively. So if you write your project in, in TypeScript and import some packages, um, and push them to GitHub. You'll have a live deployed URL in three to five seconds. Oh, it sounds like this is a really great use case for Dino. Like because of the fact it can run it all natively, like your cold start time is going to be shorter. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Benefits right off the bat. Look at that. Uh, I'm sure there's like a plethora of things that we could go into about like little optimizations and, and like 
reasons why we should look into Dino, but let's take a, a little bit of a shift and talk about Fresh. Because uh, I think that's like one of the main things we want to get into today. What is Fresh? From What's your elevator speech on Fresh? That's a great question. Um, Fresh is a modern full stack JavaScript framework, uh, which is built to be fast and built to be easy to use um, and built to be as simple as humanly possible. Um, like there's all the bells and whistles are like web standard bells and whistles. There's no like proprietary bells and whistles. Um, and it's engineered to be like, the only way for you to do things is the right way to do things. Like the the the, the happy path is also the, the fast path, um, which I think is something which a lot of frameworks out there have not done a great job of um, like making the, the hap the like the easiest path also be the fastest path and fast as in both developer experience, but also primarily as user experience. Like if I'm loading a website built with fresh, it's going to be fast. Um, and it's pretty difficult to make it slow because like fresh doesn't give you a lot of ways to make the web, like, like it, it really pushes you in a way of making things, uh, fast. What's a way that a traditional framework makes it slow that fresh changes? Yeah, so uh, like one of the big selling points of Fresh is that in most in many traditional frameworks um, that do server side rendering and, and client side rendering, maybe I should actually like explain slightly more what, what Fresh actually is. Like Fresh is a framework which does server side rendering um, on the edge for all pages by default. Um, that means that instead of shipping an empty shell to the browser and then hydrating it on the browser with the client side code. You render the entire page on the server, um, and then render the entire or, or serve the entire rendered page to the user. Um, and then you can still hydrate it on the client. Um, I'll get into that in a moment. But like one of the uh, big ways it, it's faster is just because server-side rendering is much more reliable in terms of performance, especially on slow networks, compared to um, pure client-side rendering. Um, and there's other frameworks which have tried to do something like this. Remix is a great example um, where they're doing server-side rendering by default, and it's it's very great that we're, we're moving in this direction. Um, but there's still downsides uh, that Remix has, namely that you render your entire page on the server, and then it ships all of the code that it used to render that page on the server. It ships that code also to the client and then re-renders the entire page on the client again. Um, which, like, if you imagine you have like a blog post, um, like a, a page which explain which which shows blog posts, um, you would render that blog post on the server. Um, so you would like read in your markdown, transform into HTML. Um, I don't know, pull some like comments from a database to show like a comment list or something like that. You ship that to the client, and then the client you have to load the markdown parser, JavaScript library, the HTML like generator from that markdown parser. Um, you have to load the markdown. It then recomputes all of the um, stuff that is already done on the server and renders it on the client again. Even though that's not really, like nothing is, the markdown is not changed in the time that you server-side render versus when you client-side render. So th that's just a lot, uh, like a bunch of lo um, lost CPU cycles, essentially. It's wasted, wasted battery on a mobile phone. Um, it's not a great user experience. So what Fresh does instead is, it doesn't ship your entire rendering pipeline to the client by default. Instead, it only ships the pieces of the rendering pipeline to the client that are actually interactive. Um, so for example, 
if we back to this like blog post example, you have a static blog post, but you have like a comment uh, section underneath where people can type in comments and you want to have these comments be like live updating and maybe you have some like fancy interactive um, editor that you can type your comment into. You want to have client-side interaction and you want to have JavaScript to hydrate this um, and make this cool. So what you can do with Fresh is just ship the JavaScript for only that comment section to the client, but not have to ship all the JavaScript that was required to render the blog post itself. Because the blog post is static. It doesn't change. You don't need to re-render that on the client. But the things that are actually dynamic, you do. So that is shipped to the client. It's Emily again, producer for PodRocket, and I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of PodRocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? Weird little component libraries? How to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out? I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. So in general, I feel like what, what you're describing is you're shifting your mentality to be as server-side as possible. You want it to be as flattened and pre-rendered as possible and then like minimize those, I don't, for lack of a better term, like functional components right? that you're going to ship over. Yeah. Okay. So, so what we call them are islands, um, those, those components, because they're essentially islands of dynamic content in a sea of static, like in a, in a sea of static HTML. Um, so we, we want to try to create as much static HTML as possible on the server um, and then only ship the JavaScript to the client that's like absolutely necessary to make something interactive. And ideally also with fallback. So like if if you have a browser, if you're in a slow connection um, and the JavaScript is just taking a really long time to load and there's a form, like you can still submit the form um, and it'll still work using like a regular form component um, even if the JavaScript isn't loaded. Uh, and then it'll like progressively enhance if the JavaScript is loaded. That, that's the kind of thing where we really want um, try to lean on the platform as much as possible. So do you think that this is going to be a uh, struggle for developers today who probably think in the more traditional, you know, MVC or whatever they're used to, to transition into this? Like, did you come from the tra typical traditional land of, you know, everything functional and JavaScript you going over? Or did you start from a more server-side pre-rendered background. Yeah, so actually I started pretty much from static generation. So where where you'd like have a build step and you generate static HTML. Um, and essentially this is that except for you're doing the static generation dynamically rather than once at build time, right? Um, so it's it's actually very similar to something like PHP. Um, and a lot of people have compared it to PHP. And actually I don't mind that comparison because I think it's a good comparison. Like PHP is um, very like server-side rendering heavy um, and like if you want to have something dynamic, you have to like explicitly write some jQuery to like make some components interactive. Except for Fresh makes this much easier. Like you just write JSX components on both the client and the server, and it'll just like figure out. It can use the same code for both the client and the server. 
what would you say to people who are interested in like approaching this, but they they have anxieties in their mind about like, uh, you know, this is a whole new paradigm and like, I'm definitely going to like, my island is, it, I'm not going to have a sea with islands. I'm going to have like America with lakes. So what do, you, what, what do you say to people who have that anxiety coming into this and, and how they can prime themselves to really using the best things you have to offer? It's obviously mentality shift. Like you have to, when, when you go into this, you have to really start thinking about writing websites differently. You have to think about um, instead of that you're shipping JavaScript to the client, like instead of shipping like essentially a game engine or a renderer to the client that like renders out your entire page, you ship out the content itself. Um, and that's that's quite the paradigm shift. Like a lot of people are not familiar with that anymore, um, even though this used to be really popular. So like, but even if you have like these huge islands where like essentially your entire page is an island, you can start there, right? You can start at having one big island and then like scale it down over time um, where you realize, oh, actually this component is static. So I can move that out of the island. I can turn that into a static component. Like that's not how... Um, like Fresh was not originally built for that, but it's going to work uh, really well anyway. Folks coming from Remix, is this going to feel familiar to them if they're trying to explore Fresh? Yeah, I think so. Um, the The templating system, the way it works, is very much inspired by Remix, or the, the data loading framework, or more specifically, is very much inspired by Remix with like the handlers and uh, like the, the way data is fetched. Um, and the templating is very, or not the templating, sorry, the routing is very similar to Next.js. Um, like people who've used Next.js are going to be very familiar with that. It really tries to pull a lot of great ideas from a bunch of existing frameworks and combine them into something. Like if, if you've used Next.js and Remix before, Fresh is going to feel pretty familiar. Awesome. Okay. Um, when people are, if we can get into the weeds a little bit. So like in Next, we have like server-side props. That's like a thing I can use to, get server-side values and, and any work I want to do. Can we talk about what the analog for Fresh is and how developers might actually start creating this, these actual separations of islands and what's an island and what's not? So the, the most basic way to create a page in Fresh is you scaffold a new project, um, and that's going to generate a routes folder in your project directory. And that routes folder is going to contain a, a bunch of TSX or JSX files that describe each of the routes that a user can visit in your page. Um, and those routes, they can export a few different things. Um, the first thing they can export is a default like default export, which is a JSX component. Um, and that JSX component, like by default, is just rendered with like uh, no data properties um, as arguments um, if, if you don't specify data loader. But what you can also export is something called a handler function. And a handler function is essentially what, um, if you've used Express before and you do like um, app.use. A middleware type of thing? Yeah, it's sort of like a middleware type of thing where, where essentially you get in a request and you return a response. Um, so essentially it's just a, an HTTP handler. Um, and what it provides is it additionally provides a, like a context.render function inside of this handler that you can use to render out your component. So what you can do if you want to do data loading is um, you create the handler function, you load your data, and then you call context.render with that data passed in as an argument. And that's going to generate a response object for you. You can just return that response from the handler. Um, that's like the, the simplest data fetching. Um, and then there's more advanced ways to do data fetching. Like you can have middlewares um, where 
you can have like the same data fetching for multiple different pages um, that start with like the same path segment or something like that. I feel like putting things in middleware oftentimes ends up being where I end up because you have some functionality that you just keep re-implementing over and over again. And even even though like even if something was technically not a middleware, I just always find it efficient to put it there because then you can reuse it everywhere. and It doesn't really matter. It's globally available. Um, so, okay, so this handler is sort of paradigm, it, and, and it really, like, sorts it out under the hood, right? It's it's going to sort out, like, where, what life cycle and where to grab the data at what, at what time. Yeah, so, so well, the, the because Fresh does not have, like, a full um, page uh, render on the client, like, all renders happen on the server, um, there's also no client-side navigation in Fresh, which means that if you do data fetching, we never have to, like, ship the data that you fetch to the client to then render something there. Um, because you only have to do it on the server, right? Because you always do server-side rendering. Um, if you're using islands, you can pass like props to those islands, and then that'll get sent to the client. But like the, the data itself for the page that you return from the handler never has to go to the client itself. That That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, you, sh- you should typically, I guess, design it in that way. But if you have the data go on the server side, like the big thing is, I remember I was doing this analytical app one time and it's like all this data came through and there was this engineering challenge about like around how do we get the, the, the Chrome runtime to make this palatable. But if, if you know, we had a private product and server, you could throw as many Kubernetes pods as you want at that thing and just let it rip. Yeah. Um, so yeah, paradigm shift. I, it, it's just different to think of doing the website, like your whole life cycle in this way. Uh, what do you think is one of the coolest implementations of this new way to think about the new paradigm of like server-side rendering heavily heavily on the server is there like some sort of application or website you've seen particularly made with fresh if you can think of one that would be slow or not possible if you did it traditionally yeah uh so there's like you can do anything with with client-side rendering, right? Um, and the the main downside is just going to be that it's slow often. Um, but there's a bunch of sites which are written in Fresh, like the DinoLand homepage is written in with Fresh. Um, the entire Dino module registry, DinoLand slash X, where you can like um, upload modules from GitHub and serve them. Um, that's using Fresh. Uh, our, our merch store, merch.dino.com, also uses Fresh. Our blog, dino.com slash blog, also uses Fresh. Um, like these are all things where we could have used Next.js or we could have used... I don't know remix or 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 something like that. Um, but this sort of, specifically, for example, for this registry thing, like there's a bunch of modules that get added every day. Uh, if we had to do like a static generation step with something like Astro, every time you add a new, um, every time a new module is added, that would be like completely unpalatable. Um, like like we'd just be spending the entire day doing like regenerating all of our uh, content, uh, especially like we have millions of files. We want to have like code views. Uh, like rendered code view for all of those files. We need to do that dynamically. We can't do that statically. Um, and like we could also do that on the clients, but then that would be really slow for mobile connections. Like let's say you have a, I don't know, two, 20, 20 kilobyte JavaScript file. You send that to the client. Like that's already quite a bit. Uh, then you have to send like an entire JavaScript parser to do syntax highlighting. You need to actually do the syntax highlighting rendered into the DOM. Like if you're on like a Moto G4. Um, you're dead out of water. Yeah. Sitting there for 30 seconds waiting for that. Yeah, like that's just not a good experience. Um, and this just, it it just sends you the HTML um, with all the CSS tags in the right place. And there's nothing else for the browser to do other than to just render that page. 
I guess this is a funny question because I'm asking like, wow, what websites would be slow? What ones wouldn't, what ones would benefit from this? It's like every website would like, we're, we're kind of stuck in a bubble of like, everybody has an iPhone and a MacBook, but you go to like the other 90% of like the, the users around the world and they're running Android and they're running like a Samsung five and they're running like a windows XP computer. Like windows XP still shockingly is one of the most popular operating systems like around the world like yeah it's surpassed by windows 7 by far but there's still plenty of x people people out there so um, and, and like it's it's not even so much like even on iphone like you're let's say you're um you just have bad cell coverage somewhere like you're walking down a block you have bad cell coverage you have like a suddenly like a, a 50 kilobit connection rather than your regular like 200 megabit um if you're trying to load like some some store and it just doesn't load, you're going to abandon that and you're not going to buy anything there. Um, but if you have like a fast store which works even on slow connections, it's going to get a lot. Let me users. tell you, I was on an airplane a few days ago trying to load the GCP console. It was a bad time. I did not. <laughs> I was not a happy flyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like the, the GCP console is especially bad. Like even <laughs> even like it's even really if bad. you're on like a gigabit like network, you still it still takes like seconds to load. It's kind of terrible. And that's an amazing feat of like I have the same reaction looking at the GCP console as I do looking at like an ant tower. I'm like, wow, I don't know what this is, but they built it and it's massive. <laughs> yeah, <like>, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess, so it it really, it's all these scenarios, as you noted, we don't think about them when we don't have connection and it's, it's useful everywhere. It's really useful everywhere. It's going to improve all aspects of the business and the organization. Um, so what, what are you looking forward to in the next year? Like besides Dino and Dino and fresh, is there anything that's coming out in the web, anything that's coming out in the SaaS technologies that's like piqued your interest? Yes, but I but I can't share all of them unfortunately yet. Um, <laughs> but there's there's some like really awesome stuff that I know we're working on, um, especially related to the SaaS stuff. That's a great point. Um, but yeah, like w- we have 15 people working on Dino now. Um, we're we're gonna grow the team, continue to grow the team. We have uh, a bunch of funding, um, so Dino's just gonna get better. Uh, Fresh is gonna get better, um, and there's. Uh, we're seeing a lot of other people trying to write JavaScript runtimes, uh, which just proves that this is um, something that people are interested in, and um, that there's still like that Node was not the end of JavaScript runtimes on the server, right? Like there is still a lot of uh, things to be done. Um, a- anything else? Any other projects you're looking at that aren't related to Dino specifically? Yeah, so I'm I'm also um, a member of TC39, which is like the JavaScript standards body. Um, and um, like we do JavaScript standards there, right? Like we figure out what's next for the language um, and what like engines should implement. Um, and there's a bunch of really cool stuff. I'm I'm super excited for there. Um, for one, um, there's a bunch of improvements to like the ES module system that we're currently working on um, related to like WASM integration and like lazy loading and deferred loading and module blocks. And these are all like. Uh, things you're gonna you're gonna hear more about once they're closer to being ready, but um, really cool stuff going on there. And I'm also uh, working on a bunch of other uh, web specs with folks, um, namely at the What WG and uh, Winter CG groups, um, working on like the fetch spec, and um, also working on making sure that server side runtimes like Node and like Dino and like Cloudflare workers um, 
implement the same APIs and like have those APIs interoperate between between those runtimes. I think that's something which um, is really really necessary, and we didn't we haven't spent enough time on. Um, and when you say that APIs are similar, is, is, do you mean on the server side or like for the client side when we're uploading our serverless functions? Um, well, all of it, even like all of it, actually, like I, I, like ideally, what we want is you want you like ideally, what I want is you write a JavaScript library, and you don't have to say like that library works on Node, it works in the browser, it works in Dino, blah blah blah. It just it's a JavaScript library, okay, and it runs everywhere. <laughs> right, right. Like that's what I want. Um, and there's obviously still a long way to go there, but it's something we're working on, and I think it's it's really really important that we do um, because like JavaScript is. The most used, it's it's the, the the best dynamic language out there. It's the fastest dynamic language by far. Um, it has millions of users every day um, that are writing it, and like billions of users that are executing JavaScript every day. Um, so, like anything that we can u- do to make it better, um, it's going to have like a profound impact, right? It's like the English of programming. You know, you, you, everybody learns like a common language. <laughs> it, it's weird how we've all gravitated towards this single point. But I mean, it, it feels refreshing when you step into JavaScript and it feels like you have like every Crayola color at your disposal. Like it's hard to match that feeling in other languages sometimes. Yeah. And it's especially like even, even if folks are not super familiar with JavaScript, like everyone knows that little bit of JavaScript, right? Like everyone knows like console log and it's, it's, it's like, it's like a universal language, like you said with like English, um, but it's, it's the universal scripting language. Uh, well, Luca, we're getting kind of close to the time. Uh, maybe we could point people at resources they can look at. You've mentioned some links in our in our podcast so far, but if people want to go check out Dino, Dino Docs is probably the first step to look at, right? Where are those located? So you just go to dino.land um, and you get everything there. There's the manual there. There's the API reference there, um, installation docs, um, standard library, everything's dino.land. Dino.land. Awesome. And what about Fresh? Uh, for Fresh, you go to fresh.dino.dev. Um, and same thing, there's installation guides, um, docs, everything is on that page. Fresh.dino.dev, right on. Okay, and if people wanted to hear more from you, are you active anywhere on socials? And if so, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so me personally, you can find on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash lcastdev. Um, and for the company, you can find more about Dino at dino.com um, slash blog for a blog or, or twitter.com slash Dino underscore land. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Luca. Uh, hopefully some people can be encouraged and still to actually take the dive into uh, more server-side things with with Fresh and take a look at this new JavaScript runtime because it sounds really great. People like one binary does everything. It's all, it's, it's homogenous. Like it sounds great. So Hopefully some new stars and some new users will ship, will come your way soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. 
So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.